When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like this show, you need to check out the Real GM Football Podcast, hosted by Jeff Risden. Join Jeff each week as he features wide-ranging and in-depth conversation with the NFL's best thought leaders. They talk salary cap, draft, and even a bit of fantasy. So check out the Real GM Football Podcast weekly on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome on to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the final of the Division Capsule podcasts for Real Jam Radio, ending with the Southeast Division and a great pairing of guests. The first time I've ever had these two on together. Andrew Sharp of Sports Illustrated and Mike Prada of SB Nation two guys that actually know each other pretty well due to running in wizard circles, but they both, of course, know this division well, go in a lot of different directions with this. While all of the questions that are a part of these, if you've listened to the other ones in the series, are included in here, they're not necessarily in the same order or distribute. The time is not distributed evenly. We do a little bit of short shrift, I guess you could say, to the preview part of it, but we, we pretty much agreed, so there wasn't as much really to discuss on that part of it, but still a lot of interesting threads and discussions about not only this division, but where the league is going. So I think you'll really enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. If you use the promo code podcast one, number one, you get a 50% sign up bonus, which is great. Pluto TV, the leading free streaming television service, and our friends at TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. This episode runs about hour 20. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, God, this division yeah. is so depressing. <laughs> I like how Mike and I have done these with very, with different guests over the years, and it feels like there's always some sort of malaise, but this year's malaise is different because I feel like it's division-wide. Is that fair, Mike? Uh, yeah, this division's awful. I mean, we were just talking beforehand. The Wizards are not exactly a team people are excited about this year, and they're probably the best team in the division. So that kind of tells you all you need to know. Yeah, if, if we're talking about malaise, let's go full disclosure here, okay? So before this podcast, you sent out an email about the Atlantic Division, and <laughs> I started looking over the Atlantic Division, and, you know, the Celtics 
Raptors and Sixers are three really good teams. And then I realized that we were going to be doing the Southeast and there's the Wizards, the Heat. And then I started thinking, and I, I like, I know the Hornets are in the Southeast division, but I don't know if I can name another Southeast division team. <laughs> and I, and there's got to be more. <laughs> but like the Southeast division is really kind of where like excitement goes to die in the last couple of years. And, uh, and you know, that's fine. Oh, I guess Orlando is in there too. It's it's kind of rough. And even though the conceit of the my whole podcast for Real Jam Radio in the summer is on divisions, this division makes me it furthers my argument, which I've had independent of this for a long time, that there just shouldn't be divisions because you're sitting there going. I mean, thankfully they fixed the benefits of it that you don't automatically get a three seed now. Like think about how that could work out with this one now. <laughs> I mean, especially I miss yeah. that as a Wizards fan, I miss I miss those days. Yeah. Can you imagine if like the Raptors got the six seed because of the way the divisions are set up? <laughs> <laughs> just just like out and out riot. Well, no, because if, if they got the six seed, then they would like think of, what I was thinking about was like if we imagine Boston gets the one, if it was Philly Toronto in the four five because of that. Oh, yeah, so then true. so right. then yeah, Philly yeah, that's what I, that's if that right. had been the case, Philly, Toronto, and Boston would have all been on the same side of the bracket. <sighs> God, what if they went full the other way, though? What if they did the baseball strategy where, like, a massive proportion of your games are against division teams? And so these teams pick up big records while beating up on each other. And then they get high seeds, and then they have to play these better teams in the playoffs. What if that was the system? This I mean, time? It, okay. it could work, but <laughs> I mean, you'd be you'd be shifting the proportions. I mean, that would be really good for these teams because not they would presumably be taking games away from the West. Probably you do that. I mean, interleague in baseball is is a much smaller proportion of the schedule, so that would be good for them. Yeah, it it it'd definitely be different. Yeah. We've just figured I mean, out how to get the Wizards fifty wins for the first time <laughs> since nineteen seventy. Yeah, yeah. I've, all of this stuff would be great for teams in this hapless division, but just bad for the sport in general. We, nobody needs more Wizards magic game, even though I enjoy the Harry Potter jokes every time they meet. <laughs> oh, man. So, the Southeast Division. Yeah, so so I, where I usually start with these, and can, we can go through it either team by team or just kind of more broadly, who in this division do you think got better, and who in this division do you think got worse? Ooh, uh... It's hard. I, I don't. I think the Wizards got better, but I'm not really sure. I don't think the Heat did any. I mean, the Heat did nothing, so they're the same. Charlotte probably got worse, although they were pretty depressing earlier. Orlando, you would think they got better, but every year we're saying, well, or this is a year Orlando finally turns into something. Never happens. And Atlanta probably is about the same. So I don't know if. You know, last year it went Miami, Washington, Charlotte, uh, Orlando, Atlanta. Like, I could totally see it doing the same thing again this year. Yeah, you know, I think that um, the only candidate for getting better is the Wizards, right? I mean, you could argue that Charlotte has been a little bit better than they've looked the last couple of years and that they're kind of due to bounce back with good health and uh, and, you know, getting rid of Dwight could be a win for them. It, it, but uh, to me, I think the Wizards adding Dwight and and giving him Gortat's role. Gortat did a lot of nice things for the Wizards over the last four or five years, but like toward the end, he just didn't have it athletically. And uh, 
was hurting them more than he was helping. And I think getting Dwight in there, even if he's kind of a net zero at the center position, will help them a lot. The Wizards' ceiling depends entirely on what version of John Wall they're going to get this year. I'm The team I'm really curious about is Miami because I feel like the last few years they've been very smart and they you know that they're going to show up and play their ass off and run good sets and the question, though, is like how how far that will take them because the ceiling seems to be pretty clear, and I think at some point, like they're gonna have they're gonna kind of plateau and uh, and maybe take a step or two back, and those are the only two good teams in the division, so <laughs> that's what we got. <laughs> I find Miami really depressing nowadays. I yeah, just do. I do too, I mean, and the- I like watching them. You know, I, I really, I, yeah. I like a lot of their players. They just don't have any kind of star as the catalyst at the at the center of everything. Like they want Josh Richardson to be that guy, but he's not going to turn into Kawhi. I don't think. I find it depressing because this is, I mean, this is Pat Riley's team. This is the anti-Riley. This is the anti-Heat that we've come to know and love, the big game hunting. And they've literally become, if you take away Miami from the start of their name and you you put them in a small market team, they're totally forgettable. They're just that team that kind of, they're, they're Charlotte, basically. I mean, maybe a little better, but that's that's what they are. They're that's the space they occupy in the league. They're a nice little team that wins 40-something games every year and loses in the first round of the playoffs, overachieves. You don't have anything bad to say about them. Great coaching. Players are fun to root for, but they just don't have it anymore, and there's no way for them to get any better, really. I just For, for that to be Miami to me is like kind of depressing. You know, I'm honestly, the one thing that I would love to read is like a long form report on like on what the hell happened two off seasons ago where the Heat struck out on Hayward and then just decided it was time to like sink all their money into a Linux and James Johnson and Dion Waiters. I mean, just because you, you're right, that's so out of character for Pat Riley and the lack of foresight. I mean, maybe they just saw what Golden State was doing and said, look, we're going to be kind of spinning our wheels regardless for the next few years. Let's just go win 40 to 45 games and compete. But uh, it's, it's shocking that they decided that was the best path. I don't have any particular inside information here, but my instinct is that a lot of it relates to Tyler Johnson. And so for for those who remember what happened with Tyler Johnson's contract, which now can be fixed by the new CBA, but that was not under the previous one, was that if somebody signed one of those Jeremy Lin style offer sheets, if a team matched it, they had to fo- the contract had to follow the format that it was offered in. And so what that was, was mid-level, mid-level, max, max. And so what that meant was they had this kind of ticking time bomb in terms of cap space that they had money in 17 that wasn't going to be there in 18 and so i think what happened was they just went even though that was i think that was about 15 million different between those two things was that they just went well we're probably not gonna have space to work with so we might as well just go with with what we know with what we have and Mm. they also had the strangest feel good 500 season that i can ever remember because they because of the whole you know I think it was it was was it twenty and thirty twelve and thirty something like that eleven and thirty and thirty yeah. and eleven eleven and thirty and thirty and eleven so they walked out of that season going oh my god like look at what we could be and so just adding in some small pieces and bringing back because that a lot of the the story of that team is that they really like they bought in they dug down and they made a good story and so you're sitting there going well if we could bring that back add a little bit of talent add, we can we can work with it so it, it kind of all put it together. 
and it led to this this kind of bizarre solution. And what I think is the story also with this division that is going to be a real challenge is that there wasn't a lot of personnel turnover. I mean, the Wizards had some, the Hawks had kind of a philosophical turnover to a point like the Trey Young shooter thing. But really, I think what the story of this division in terms of improvement and not is health and aging. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, there are teams in this division that you hope that they'll, that they might not be necessarily better, but maybe they can be healthier. And that's a possibility. And then there are other teams where maybe it goes the other way. Like Miami, I, I get, I'm fascinated with them from this perspective because I would say most of their players, I mean, we'll see what BAM does this year. Most of their players are either prime or post prime. So it time, the passage of time doesn't necessarily help them a ton. We'll see if Tyler yeah. Johnson and Josh Richardson can do more. But really, BAM is the guy that I'm thinking, okay, he's definitely going to be better than he was last year. But then they have. Oh, Winslow. Oh, and Winslow too. Yeah, he had a nice, he had a nice close of the year, and he's a good one for the health thing as well. And so, so then you have it. So, like, okay, well, then how does that balance? You know, may, maybe hopefully they get more from Deion Waiters this year. We still don't know as we're recording this what's going to go on with D Wade. So, you know, Miami, I could see them being similar, but maybe this is the year that Goran Dragic, you know, if he loses half a step. That would be a problem for this team because he has so much of an offensive role, depending on what happens with Wade. And I think that's the story with a lot of it. I mean, the Wizards, you brought it up, like, what John Wall are we going to get? That's kind of health and age. You know, it's like, what's going on with his lower body? What does he have left? And those questions are, they're definitely less sexy, but they're incredibly important when you think about a division that is kind of in that precipice where guys might fall off or they might not. Health, age, and attitude, I would say. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Just real quick on Miami, your point on, on the, the cap space and the consequences of the Tyler Johnson deal, that is definitely what happened. And uh, and it's kind of interesting to think about because a similar thing happened with the Wizards mm-hmm. where they had one summer where they were going to have room and then extensions were going to kick in and they were going to be they were going to have their hands tied. And uh, I think that's been true for a number of teams around the league. And there are a handful of teams who have swung for the fences and connected, and it's been great. I think, like, Boston is a good example where, like, they were able to get Hayward. And uh, that's, like, the window was open, and they got Hayward and Horford, and uh, it's been fantastic. But the Wizards and the Heat are kind of like how the other side lives and the uh, the kind of the downside of that cap spike and the room that was created. And like when there's no good option, eventually the guy you're going to have to extend the guys you have. It gets tough. And for me, like, I just wonder why some of these teams like I, I understand they had they had space um, that they had to use. But like you had to be able to foresee the idea that like waiters suddenly becomes kind of like unmovable at the number that he's on. And, uh, and it's just, it's interesting how that affects the way we think of this team in general. Cause they do like, they go 10 deep with guys who are really interesting and, and kind of undervalued nationally, I guess, but are, are fun to watch. And I think in a different context, if they had a little bit more flexibility, they'd be more exciting to think about. I, Bam, I'm a big believer in Bam, and I would love to see him be able to kind of spread his wings this year. But that's another question Miami has to deal with is like, how much, how many minutes can you give him if Whiteside is there? What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm a little surprised Whiteside hasn't been traded yet. 
I guess this is the problem that they run into is nobody wants a guy like Hassan Whiteside on the team. Twenty five million a year. Yeah, he's so for, expensive. So like maybe there are teams that would be interested in him in the abstract. Like let's say the amnesty provision still existed. I could see a team yeah. put together a meaningful bid on him. You know, like hey, let's let's pay him ten million dollars a year. But it's really hard to make those kinds of trades work, especially when Miami would probably want to be losing salary in that deal. So like there yeah, there are there are centers who make twenty million million or their centers who make lots of different kinds of bad money but also the other the other problem with Whiteside is that there's so many teams that are capped out at the same time that it makes it harder to, to do a deal and you know these teams that are pushing up against guys like theoretically let's say the structure had been a little bit different and Miami was trying to stay below the tax and Washington had more wiggle room I could have seen a Whiteside or <laughs> Mahimi type of deal as possible, but with how it, but with how the structure yeah. is now, the Wizards would never do that because it would just be so expensive that it wouldn't be worth it. It's better to get Dwight for the mid level, even if you have to give him a player option in the second year. Both of them actually, Whiteside has one too. Yeah, you know how sad it is. Well, but I, Mike, I can almost guarantee that when Danny was saying like who would who would want Whiteside, like my mind immediately jumped to the Wizards. And that's really depressing, but like he does kind of have a wizard's vibe, like a, a desperation play at some point down the line. But yeah, I mean, like beyond that, it, it's just it's hard. Like there's not enough cap room around the league, and he's like such a distressed asset that it, I can't really imagine them finding a, a, a trade partner over the next year or two. What you mentioned about uh, the cap space thing also applies to Charlotte and Orlando. I mean, they put a lot of eggs in 2016, and they have bad contracts on the books that are killing them. Charlotte had that great year in 2016 and then paid everybody, and voila, it turns out 120-something million to Nick Batum doesn't really age very well. Orlando paid all that money to Biombo, and I, I don't even remember. Biombo's on Charlotte, and Tim Mozgov is on Orlando now. That was one of the more hilarious trades of the past two years, whatever happened there. But I can understand it from the perspective of a Washington, a Charlotte, or a Orlando, because they're not a glamour market. Now, why Washington put all their eggs in the 2016 basket when they knew this? Whole separate discussion. But the reason I find Miami depressing is that Miami's supposed to be the team that is the anti like sort of small market that knows they can't get the the big names, so they're gonna just try to be pretty good. And yet they've just tried to be pretty good. And it's just sort of sad to me how that's worked out. It's also hard with Miami because it's going to be a couple of years until they really get out of this, and they're going to have to be really patient during that time because they'll their stuff is going to clear out. I think it's in 2020. It should largely square up. So maybe there'll be a player then. But I mean, the the it'll be a holding pattern in all likelihood until that point. And you have to be really patient because like if you stretch us on Whiteside or something or whatever, if they end up doing some of those things, then that puts more money on future books. And Miami, it's so weird because I like a lot of their players and I like their team, but I also feel like I would enjoy a lot of their players more if they were on different teams because the collective, like the blitzing that they do is really, really fun. But like, I think some of this is the split between offense and defense. Like Goran Dragic, I feel like I would enjoy him more with collaborative talent and a system that allowed him to, to sing more. I even like, I really loved the, the, watching him play with Slovenia during Eurobasket. I think that was last summer. And, you know, he's getting more of a chance with when Wade isn't there. You know, we'll see if Wade comes back. But 
a lot of these guys, just because they're on the same team, they play fewer minutes and all that, I think that helps their intensity. But I, I feel like I know what they are at this point. And so you don't have the discovery, which is sometimes the most fun thing about watching the NBA. This is the thing I really struggle with with them. I mean, I really like Winslow as a player, but I mean, at a certain point, you can't have Winslow and Richardson and Rodney Magruder and James Johnson and Olenek and give him two positions. You know, it's... You got to make some choices there, and if, if Winslow, it seemed like he made some strides with this three-point shot, but I always feel like three-point percentage can be a little misleading. What really matters is do people care about you at the three-point line? Do you have a quick release? Do you, are you a threat out there? And I, I just don't know if he is. So if he's mostly playing the four, is Josh Richardson a two? And if that's the case, does that mean guys like Ellen, Wayne Ellington, who had another terrific year, Johnson, who still is there, Waiters, and maybe Wade? Do they get bumped from the, the best five? I, what, I just don't know what their best five is. I think it's kind of, in a way, it's sort of nice to be able to have this Swiss Army knife of, you know, we don't know exactly what we're, we can close with whoever we want. But I think it, you do run into some problems when you have Whiteside on the team, when you have young players you're trying to develop for the next era of Heat basketball, the post-2020 era, the Richardsons and the Winslows and the Adebayos. And you, you, but you still have a lot of these other guys. It's sort of like uh, you're, you have two different problems. So I, I'm really curious what their best five is. Yeah, well, all, all I can say is that thinking through the options for their best five, like who you're closing with in the playoffs, just became like pretty sobering. Because again, I, I, I love watching this team every night. But yeah, that's the issue is that a lot of these guys are fun to watch in the third quarter, but not necessarily people you want to be counting on to close big games. Um, like I love Wayne Ellington, but and he might be in their best five if you're if you're looking for someone who can help them kind of stretch the floor and open things up for Dragic. Like I, I probably prefer running Wayne Ellington off screens than like letting Dwayne Wade ISO for 15 seconds at the top of the key. But it's, it's like there's not many like great options either way if you could do line changes like in hockey they would be so good <laughs> like if you can make a sub after each each possession so you have your offense five and your defense five but but as is you saw it in the playoffs i mean philly's just a team that's that long and athletic like you just can't create any good offense even if those guys shoot decent percentages in the regular season they're not threats they can be taken away uh and that's the problem yeah, and that gets yeah, into the, well, the, the trade-off here. So you bring like you, there are a lot of guys on Miami that you can bring up, and I'm happy Mike mentioned Justice Winslow. I would also mention Brandon Ingram here. Where the way that I like to think about the credibility of a guy as a shooter is imagining defending them within a team concept. And so you're sitting there going, "How willing would I be to stray off them? How willing would I be to help off them?" And so these guys that shoot a high percentage but on a really low volume, I think you're pretty comfortable helping off them. But there are players who sometimes it's a lagging indicator. Sometimes it's not who you just aren't as comfortable with that. And that's really where the value of a shooter comes. Even with, like Ryan Anderson's a good example of this, where even if he ends up not taking many shots in that specific game, his guy isn't going to go too far off him because you know if he does, then that shot is there. Whereas with Justice Winslow, I don't think anybody's freaking out. Okay, Justice Winslow's in the quarter. Yeah, maybe he'll take some threes. Maybe he'll make some threes. He has had some really good nights. But for me, until you reach that point, bringing more volume or you're just 
ludicrously successful, I, I don't think you're that much of a threat. In ter- I, I don't think you're affecting the decision-making process as much. And the speed of the yeah, release matters, I mean, too. I mean, Winslow's Winslow release is like a trebuchet. In the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is trebuchet, yeah. I mean, the, you saw it in the playoffs. He was, he was pretty much, like, left out on an island by the Sixers. But yeah. uh, I, I There's like value in having a good-looking shot. Aesthetics matter. You know, if you look like you're a shooter, you'll be defended like you look like a shooter. Do you guys, did you guys watch the WNBA stuff? Seattle had this. Did you watch the WNBA finals? I think this is like a, the most no. recent. I watched so some the of them, yeah. Seattle has this one player who is really awesome, but they would always leave her open because her shot was slow and ugly. It went in decent amount of the time, and it obviously worked, but it's just the fact that the shot doesn't look good that makes people leave you. You know, even if it's successful. Well, and the flip side of that, I would say, like a, a great example in the Ryan Anderson mold and to pivot to another Southeast team is Bradley Beal has never been quite as good a shooter as people think he is, but he just looks like his stroke is so pure and mm-hmm. he looks so good taking the jumpers that everyone guards him as if he's Clay Thompson from three, when really, like, he just has never quite taken that next step to become a knockdown shooter that way. But he creates a lot, uh, he, like, he has a lot of gravity because teams give him a lot of respect. And by contrast, Otto Porter's shot's a little, looks a little weird, but it goes in a lot more often. And so he's not yeah. as respected as much, even though he's a way better spot-up shooter in terms of percentage. So a couple of the, the health things to talk about with this division. So like with Washington, John Wall only played in 41 games last year. They did far better during the time that he was out than I anticipated. But everybody else stayed pretty healthy. I mean, I, I, as far as I can recall, the rest of the team stayed, stayed pretty wealthy. They did lose Mike Scott and a few other pieces. So that could square either way. I mean, what John Wall do we see? How much time do any of these guys miss? And another one like that, which I think is a, a really fascinating one, is Charlotte. Kemba Walker played 80 games, played played a lot of time, and I believe one of the two games he missed was just in was what after basically after their season was over. But then Cody Zeller only played in 33. He got marginalized by Dwight Howard. My personal belief is that Cody Zeller and Dwight Howard they're very different players, but I think they're similar like caliber players. And so maybe having Cody Zeller is going to help. Granted, his backup is now Bismack Biombo, who is substantially worse. But I, with those two teams, like I could see making an argument either way. Like I think they're like they're key players that could be healthier, but you have so many other potential problem areas that could manifest themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that on the Washington side, the one thing that I would add is that, and it's funny, I actually, things got so bad toward the end of the year. I remember I DM'd Prada to complain and just sort of vent for about a a couple minutes about the Wizards continuing to play Otto Porter, even though he was like visibly injured and had been for three or four months. That's one thing that like wasn't really reported nationally. Halfway through the Raptors series, they finally shut him down because I believe he had like a blood clot issue and there was yeah. a, a risk of serious complications. But he was playing hurt for basically the, the entire second half of the season. And, uh, and if you go back and look at his numbers from the first two months, compared with what he was doing toward the end of the year, like there's actually a pretty big difference. So to me, one of the reasons I'm bullish on the Wiz this year is that I think they're going to get back Wall at, I mean, I, I actually don't see Wall getting back to where he was two years ago at an all NBA level, but I think he's going to be like 
80 to 90% of that, which is still a, a very good player and an all-star. But I also think they're going to get back like the best version of Otto Porter, who still is is probably undervalued nationally. To me, the the question is, I think I agree with that. And also, I mean, while in the 41 games he played, there were a few there where he was like just dragging his leg, just sitting exactly. on, he on the healthy. wing doing nothing. And he may as well have been hurt. Although I would argue that, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he didn't, a lot of it will depend on how he comes into camp. Like, I think he sort of, wasn't in as good condition as he was the year when he had just such an amazing year in 2017, and I think that put him a little behind the eight ball. You also remember, too, that Morris, Markeith Morris was hurt to start the year, and I don't think he really got back to his full potential for a while and maybe even all year. So there was that. The thing I worry about with them remains, you know, okay, so ingredients-wise, this all makes a lot of sense. You know, you've got Otto is underrated. Beal proved he can he can play with or without the ball. I know his efficiency numbers suffer, but again, the O threat level I think remains. Wall will probably be healthier. Morris should be healthier. Gortad was definitely a shell of himself. Jeff Green had a decent year last year. Rivers helps them with depth. Sadoransky emerged. Kelly Oubre should be better, but. Do they are they going to play the right players at the right times? I think is really the question I have uh, with these guys. Like this comes down a little bit to Scott Brooks, but I, I mean I also just worry that I think their best lineup is when they play Otto Porter at power forward. But for that to happen, I don't think Scott Brooks has always fully embraced that. And for that to happen really well, one of Sadoransky or Ubre has got to improve as a shooter. Otherwise, they're going to lose minutes to Austin Rivers. And all the other things they do will sort of be underrated. So I, I'm a little worried about how, who plays when and like how often is Dwight really going to play? Like, Is he okay not playing in crunch time a lot of this time? Is he fine being a minute soaker is does he want to be something more i think there are a lot of real playing time questions with them yeah danny what are your impressions of the wizards from the west coast and and particularly scott brooks actually because we're mike and i are probably too deep in the weeds but from a from an outsider's perspective someone who probably watches a handful of whiz games but not every game what do you think of brooks I've been surprised that some of the elements I expected to be a part of his MO, like, I mean, those OKC teams always defended, even when they were young, and so I thought that was going to transfer over a lot more cleanly than it has, and, you know, sometimes that is just personnel, but I mean, and maybe it's the Wizards got older and all that kind of stuff, they didn't have as much to prove, because they defended decently well, and they defended well in the early, I think it was the early Whitman years, it might have been the mid-Whitman years, either way, but the biggest frustration with Scott Brooks, and this is not a new frustration for me with Scott Brooks, is that idea of, is he willing to play the best guys even if it leads to unconventional lineups? Because going smaller, they actually are one of the few teams in the league, even if their wings are imperfect, that has enough forward-sized guys to throw some of these things out there. And especially last year, Gortat was not so good that you have to play him. It wasn't it wasn't one of those circumstances where you, you have to play a center because he's one of your best players or anything like that. So yeah, more Ubre, more Porter at the four. And it basically, and then the other part of that is it, it took effectively, you could call it an act of God for him to actually try Sadoransky at the one. And it worked. <laughs> like, basically, Scott Brooks. And then Ty Lawson took his minutes. Yes, and then Ty oh Lawson took his God. minutes. That's the, one of my big frustrations with Scott Brooks going back to when he was in OKC is that he has his preferences, and the only way to change that is basically to take pieces off the board. And yes. that can happen. You know, that can happen via trade. That 
make it happen via signing. But I don't trust Grunfeld to do that, so that's a problem as well. And I was say they added pieces to the board. They gave him Austin Rivers and they gave him Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. But I could actually. Did the oh God, I forgot about Jeff Green. Oh my God, that's really <laughs> tough. So, so yeah, that that's something I wanted to talk actually with you guys to turn it back with you is. Brooks has more, he has more quality players now, I think. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see with, I think Jeff Green's going to be worse than Mike Scott was last year. I think Scott had, had a nice year. But adding in right. Austin Rivers, Dwight for Gortat, I would say is an upgrade based on what Gortat was last year. But it's more of a reshuffling than anything else. And so, like, do you feel confident that Scott Brooks, confident, not confident, whatever, either that they start or finish with the deck in the right order? Um, well, I'll start there. Uh, I'm glad you confirmed a lot of my own frustrations with Brooks or validated my frustrations with Brooks. Because, yeah, that's that's my worry, even with Dwight. I mean, I, I hadn't thought to be worried about playing Jeff Green too many minutes, but I probably should be also. Uh, but, like, even with Dwight, who the Wizards are thinking of as a former MVP candidate, likely Hall of Famer, great player, who's going to kind of raise the both the floor and the ceiling for them this year. I think some of that's true, but I also think like everyone should be very clear-eyed about who should be playing at the end of games. And uh, if there's a, like if Marquise Morris is playing his best game, like he you should be closing with that lineup with him at the five and Otto at the four and, uh, and Sadoransky as a, as a backup guard is really valuable in ways that, I, I don't know, and it's not just the Wizards, it's not just Brooks and Grunfeld, but I think a lot of the NBA still doesn't appreciate the value of a point guard who can kind of move off the ball and mm-hmm. uh, sort of force people to guard five positions because a lot of guards can't do that, but Sadoransky can, and he can be a threat, and that, I think, creates a lot of opportunities for everyone else. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think Brooks understands that or values different qualities more, I would say. I'm sure he understands just fine. But um, so that's that's a worry for sure. Well, if they got weird, I think they'd be more fun and more interesting. Um, and I think they have to get weird to really compete. But I don't know if they have the people to get weird. Uh, you know, all this said, though, I mean, the season will come down to two players It'll come down to Wall, and it'll come down to Morris. Uh, if those those two guys yep. were really locked in two years ago, and they had a great season, those two guys were not at all locked in for different reasons last year, and they had a poor season. Wall is a star player, is the one that dictates everything and dictates the mood of the team, and Morris is sort of the barometer and the heartbeat of the team. That's all a real and all this stuff about Brooks and lineups and all this stuff. I mean, if Wall and Morris play well, they're going to be good. If Wall and Morris are not at their as good as they can be, they're not going to be as good. I agree with that completely. That's what it comes down to. Plenty more to talk about with Mike and Andrew, but want to take a quick moment to tell you about Bet Online. Football season is here. Don't need to worry about waiting for college football for the NFL. Both. It's a great time to watch those sports, and one way to certainly make it more interesting is through betonline.ag. You can check it out, and they have a 50% sign-up bonus if you use the promo code PODCAST1, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and then the number one, which also tells them, of course, that you came from us. And the Podcast One Sportsnet, we're doing a prediction challenge this year. As a non-football person, it would be, I mean, I still watch it, but it's not not my field of my field of work at this point. 
hoping to do better in it than I did week one. Still a little bit bitter about the Steelers-Browns tie, but I mean, that's it is what it is. But you can check that out as well. It's, it's a fun thing that we're doing. You can go to Podcast One Sportsnet's website, and it should be pretty much on the front page. They have rankings and all that fun stuff. A lot of the podcast hosts are, are checking that out as well. But the most important thing you can do, absolutely, is to check out betonline.ag tons of different options depending on what you're into and of course if you're a baseball fan or anything else that is still going on you can check it out as well and if you do so use the promo code podcast one p-o-d-c-a-s-t then the number one tells them you came from us and then you get that 50 percent sign up bonus betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts I also want to tell you about Pluto TV, and Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. And you heard me right, that's free streaming. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. They never even ask you for a credit card, don't have to sign up. It's a really cool idea. I checked out their, actually their PC interface. You can do it on a variety of devices, your phone, Roku, smart TVs, Playstations, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, whatever really you're looking for. You can check it out there. You don't have to ever pay for TV again. And it's easy, completely legal way to watch your favorite television shows and hit movies. So you should definitely check it out. Pluto TV in basically whatever device you're you're interested in. I said I mentioned it in PC, but you can really go all over the board with it. Check it out. Transition to the next question, and that's a move, a pick, a trade, a signing that stood out. And I want to start with the two moves, the two biggest things that the Hawks did. I think that, like, if we're if we're playing yeah. the long game with the Southeast Division, I think that the, the story of 2018 eventually will be the Hawks. And so one part of that, the first part, was the decision to move down two picks in the draft pick up a first-round pick that is lightly protected. Well, I, I expect they'll get it this year from the D- D- Dallas Mavericks to basically to take Trey Young. And that's a really interesting bet on your board. It's the same description I used back when Danny Ainge did that and worked out pretty well for Boston when he did so far. And then, so that's one big move. And then the other one was the Oklahoma City trade. And so basically, the easiest way to think about that trade from their perspective was that they took on Carmelo Anthony's expensive expiring contract, bought him out, and offloaded Dennis Schroeder. And I am a far bigger fan of of the latter move than the former move, but I think both are very, very important. Yeah. Can I just say, I love the former move just as much. And I am wary of comparing it to what the Celtics did, because that felt like lightning in a bottle. And it's it's unlikely that teams are going to catch that two years in a row. And somehow Danny Ainge just (laughs) continues to straight gold out of nowhere and we all just start watching it happen but I do think I like the guts it takes to say you know what we think Trey Young is going to be better than Luka Doncic or just as good we don't think Luka Doncic is going to be a superstar so let's flip this pick and go and and pick up another likely top 10 pick and take another guy who we think has a lot of upside and to me I think Trey Young's upside, it may be less realistic that he gets there than than someone like Doncic, but his his upside is just as high, if not higher, than what Doncic is going to be in Dallas. You look at even within this division, I would much rather be a Hawks fan right now, given the possibilities that have opened up over the last year, and particularly given the trade in June, than I would be. I wouldn't want to be a Magic fan. You know, like there's. 
the the future is kind of dark and and murky for them, but the the Hawks are going to have some lottery tickets, and I think that's exciting. I don't really know like how that how Young versus Doncic is going to work out. I don't think I've watched them enough. The thing that I find more interesting is that they're even in a position to play the long game. I mean, this is not a franchise that's ever done this before. This is a franchise that's always had a you know, we got to put butts in the seats and be short-term thinking sort of mode. So I'm very curious what changed because, yeah, th- these are moves for 2023. You know, they are <laughs> they're not doing the process, but they are they are going long down the road, and they they're not gonna, they don't care about winning for a long time. I know Travis Schlank is very well regarded, and I know that he was part of Golden State, but I must admit that I'm a little surprised, and I'm very curious to see how much rope he gets if this doesn't start off well, because in a vacuum, I think you've made the upside of the team much stronger. And I think if this all, if you let it all play out to fruition, you could be way better with a way higher ceiling, but it's very unhawks like very much unlike what happens in that market. They're not going to draw well for a couple of years. You know, they're going to have some real rough times. Last year was sort of year zero. And now you've pushed the timetable back even more. How much patience are they really going to have to see this through? Because if they don't have the patience to see this through in the end, then I think the trades they made are a big mistake. You have to follow it up by, like, following through the plan. And I just, I'm just i very curious to see if they do. Yeah, to me, I think the Dodgers deal comes down to them not thinking that he's going to be a star, which, you know... It, it just depends on how excited you are about Doncic and, and, and what you see for him over the next five to ten years. And uh, I'm not a big Doncic guy, uh, but uh, again, like we're pretty much all guessing here. I just admire them kind of doubling down on their evaluation of him. It's interesting how many teams said no to Doncic. For all the stuff yeah. we love, people love about him, it is, it is interesting that the Hawks were not, they did it most emphatically, but there were two other teams that passed on him, and there was a couple others that, that didn't try to move up as vigorously as we probably thought they should have. Well, can, know, I, can I make a point on that, though? Wrong? The yeah. team that moved up, Go for the, it. the team that moved up was Dallas. The teams that passed on him were Phoenix and Sacramento, and to an extent Atlanta. If I were to pick the best front office of those four teams, I would say it's Dallas. If I were to pick the worst of those front offices, it would be Sacramento. So yeah, I mean that might be it. I mean it totally could be that. It also, I mean there were reports that Cleveland didn't balked at the idea of taking on Kent Bazemore to move up. Uh, I'm not sure that's a great front office either, but. Yeah, you know, they might all be wrong. I, I don't know. I just yeah, think if it was just fun. one of them, I'd feel a lot better. Sure. Well, and you know what? I, I, I may be too like galaxy brain here, but I think that people are reading too much into the like rampant dysfunction in like I. Well, actually, <laughs> Phoenix and Sacramento are pretty rough. I was going to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I just I think the way people processed those moves, the the Dodgers trade basically was to say everyone is an idiot. Who anyone who can't see this guy's potential as a superstar for the next ten years is an idiot. And they were kind of talked about in these like xenophobic terms, as if they were kind of living in the dark ages when. You know, that might be true in one or two places, but I've also, I talked to a number of scouts who were just like, look, Dodgers is going to be very good. He's going to be kind of a rich man's Joe Ingles, a like half Joe Johnson, half Hito Turkoglu, like, but he's not going to be the the player that the internet thinks he's going to be. And so 
there are a lot of smart people who feel that way, and it didn't play as well to say that on Twitter. But uh, but it's a real possibility. Man, rich man's Joe Ingles. It's, Joe Ingles is great, and a rich man's Joe Ingles is really good. So well, it's not it's, like no, I, I, he's bad. <laughs> well, so I, th- no, I, I think it, what what this relates, yeah, what this relates to for me is this dichotomy between what Luka Doncic did and necess- and what he might be. I mean, he is pretty unequivocally the most accomplished European teenage basketball player ever. But accomplished does not necessarily yep. mean he's going to be a great NBA player. And so Although what I think... he lo- is just as young. Uh, he's, he's the same age as these college players. So that's where I raise my eyebrows a little bit. I mean, I actually don't I don't know. I'm just... Yeah, but I mean... Put it this playing. way. It seems too convenient that it's just something like xenophobia. Right, it is. And, no, no, and so, that's, so that's the thing. I, For me, like, so I had Doncic number one on my board, but I didn't think he was this unquestionable game changer or anything like that the reason i had him number one was more because i didn't love anybody else and so that's why i I kind of ended up in this weird middle ground where it's like i like him more than the people who are down on Doncic, but i do not like him as much as the people who think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread because the challenge with players who are creators and that's exactly what luka Doncic was drafted to do is that they have to be able to generate separation. And I think right. he can do everything else, but like that the that's what part of what makes Ben Simmons special. Ben Simmons, big dude, but he creates separation. He's he's more athletic, has a really good handle f- compared to the guys who are guarding him. Like that's just what Ben Simmons can do. Not every player who is 6 foot 8 or taller or 6 6, whatever they're going to be, that can pass can get by their guy. And so if he can't do that regularly, then Doncic is a useful piece. Then you get into the high-end Joe Ingles type thing, where Joe Ingles is a nice player. You're really happy that he's on your team, but you're going to need somebody else to run the show. And then you're starting to talk about, well, he's a good complimentary playmaker, if he can catch and shoot, all that kind of stuff. But that is, you know, then you're talking more like a, you're you're talking about a a support player, and support players just aren't nearly valuable. I agree with that, and I think it, it, it's very perceptive, and that's kind of the, the case against worshipping the Mavs for trading up for them. Like they, they, what they did was a gamble, and it, it made sense for them, and, and they do have a, fr- a smart front office, but I also feel like they've had a desperate front office for the, la- for the last few years, and they've swung and missed on a number of other options that would have made allowed them to contend, and, uh, and so... Trading up for Doncic wound up being the best thing for them. But uh, the thing you mentioned was one of the things that drove me crazy. The idea, like, every time someone would, would make the case for Doncic, they would say he's the most accomplished player in the, in the second-best league in the world, which is true. However, college is not that far behind the EuroLeague in, in certain respects. And uh, particularly with with respect to athleticism, I would say college in in certain areas of college and uh, the elite programs like you're going to see much better athleticism and and more tests for guys than you will in in Euroleague. And like the whole question with Doncic is going to be whether he's able to succeed against NBA athletes who are going to be up in his grill the entire time. And, uh, and like, it's fair to kind of say, let's wait and see, uh, because it's, it's, that's one where like, we're, we don't really know. Um, and there, there just weren't 
as many tests in the league that he was in. Here's a question. Uh, how many members of the Hawks' current roster will be on the team when they make the playoffs for the first time? <laughs> That's a good no, question. I think it's, it's a legit, I'm like yeah, genuinely I mean, curious as far as the timeline here because a couple of those guys that are not Trey Young are going to be up for extensions before then. So my, what's, my how these guys is, stick around? My instinct is probably like four, and almost all those guys are on rookie-scale contracts. You know, So like Trey Young... Yeah. Either Herder, Spellman, or both John Collins—that type of that type of conversation. No, I I don't think Lynn. I don't think Dwayne Dedman. Uh, oh no, Muscal is already gone because he was included in the trade and in the Schroeder trade. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it's not going. I don't think it's going to be many because I think the Hawks are also a long way off. And there's also a fundamental difference with this in the process because. Philly had so many bites at the apple. And so maybe Atlanta gets there yeah. if they're bad for another couple of years. And they didn't hit on all of them. I mean, Jaleel Okafor ended up missing out. Nerlens, you know, like, I, I, they're Embiid ended up much better. Markel so Fultz. What? Yeah, we'll see what happens with Markel <laughs> Fultz. But the hits they got, I mean, so Trey Young, he's just such a, he's going to be a lightning rod for a long time because the ceiling on him is insane. If he can be. Is it? Yes. The ceiling on I mean, him is a is. top five offensive player in the league. Wow. I don't know. If, I, I, I love Trey Young. <laughs> I, I agree with you, though, that the ceiling on him, to me, is like a slightly better version of Damian Lillard. And Damian Lillard probably isn't a top five offensive player, but I would say he's top ten. And Trey I, Young is going to be... He has the chance to be Damian Lillard, but as a much better passer who kind of opens up the floor for everybody. And that, I think, is like crazy valuable and would be a lot of fun to watch as just from a league standpoint. It would be great to have a player like that as kind of like a new age Steve Nash. And there's, there's also a chance that like his teammates attack him after like the fourth missed 35 footer next year and like it gets very dark so like who who knows what happens with Trey Young. Go ahead. Lillard is really damn good. I feel like that's asking a lot of him to get to well, that level. I don't know if he can do that. And it, it, as a uh, following back circling back on what I talked about with Luca is that Trey Young is also not great at creating separation unless his shot is so good that people are freaking out. Like he requires yeah. a lot of screeners, he requires a lot of defensive attention due to his shot. But it's kind of like the idea that the theory of him, because also Young will be hopefully coming of age at a time that the NBA is more accustomed to using what he does. Like Lillard, I feel like there is more that he could do in a, not that Terry Stotts is doing a bad job, but just because there isn't as much envelope pushing necessarily in Portland's offense. And Lillard's great, and and he, and he is athleticism, I think, is a, a massive difference between him and Trey Young. What, what more envelope pushing can be done? Like, are we talking like, shooting literal 40 footers like i, I i'm like actually with well I, I think using using dame giving him more activity off ball and just basically forcing so something i don't don't see they is, do that with their flow offense they do some of it but i think they could do more and i i don't it feels like there are approaches of just like starting stuff higher out on the court and using also because they generally don't have as much spacing, depending on who they have at the four, that sometimes well, they get true, they get that's... into issues. They get into issues where he drives into a thicket. I mean, Dame is unbelievable at finishing in traffic, 
But I, I think that there's more with pick and pops and more. There, there are some wrinkles that it's not like Terry Stotts is. Terry Stotts is an unbelievable coach. He's one of my favorites in the league. But it's a lot of it, I think, is more their personnel. And just, yeah, I mean, shooting, not necessarily shooting 40 footers, but having def- defenders feel like, oh, crap, you're at 30 to 35 feet. I have to be close to you. Like that can open up a lot because remember, Portland has a second ball handler on this team. I think there is right. there I, is more guess- that they can do. Like, I, I feel the thing for me with this is I don't feel that I'm thinking big enough. Maybe it's watching D'Antoni teams and everything else, but it's like I feel like there are, there are things that five to ten years from now that we will we will just be like, well, why wasn't that here twenty years ago? And I that, totally agree with that. And the that Willard is, is, is a guy who can do all of that. Is the question to me as it goes back to Trey Young is are those things going to be beneficial for Trey Young or have we explored the optimal amount of space for the Trey Young style player at this point and we're going to go a different way I think that's that's the bet the bet that the Hawks are making is that there is more room to grow for that type of player versus a Luka Doncic type of player and I, I actually don't, I don't know but I that I, I, it seems to me like we spent the last five years pushing the boundaries for the Trey Young type of players like are we now saying that there's five more years of boundaries to push like I, that to me seems hard to believe but it's possible and that's that's why I worry a little bit about him. I could totally see him not being the best player in that team if they're going to go where they want to go. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair concern. And Danny is, is dead on. It, like, I think the thing that, that Trey Young does really well is pass in tight spaces. The, the issue is that he's not going to be able to create very much space getting into the lane even and getting by people and sort of being able to open up the defense if he can't shoot. So while I guess it's kind of a paradox where I think he's he's going to have equal value as a passer, but the passing only becomes a real threat that puts pressure on defenses if the jumper is, is a threat. And so with Trey... For two or three months last year, he looked like a great shooter. And then the jumper kind of tailed off and he was, there was a lot of volume and he was asked to do a lot at Oklahoma. And, uh, it's hard to know what a realistic number is going to be for him as a three point shooter in, in two or three years. Yeah, a, a no, point, I, I want to be unambiguous about this. Trey Young's floor is incredibly low, like uncomfortably low for most players taken as, really high, as, he, low. as, as high as he was. Like backup guard, I could totally... Like DJ I, Augustine, are you saying? I, I think he could, be, if, if his shot doesn't come around, he could be lower than that because his defense was atrocious in college. And yeah. from what I recall hearing about from him in high school, it wasn't any better then. And, you know, so, and he doesn't create a ton of separation. So like if the shot isn't falling, if a team doesn't really know how to utilize him, I mean, he always has value as an off-ball guy because I think his catch and shoot mechanics are also still very, very good. But yeah, he could be a backup guard. Like absolutely, like, it would not surprise me in the least if Trey Young is not a star in the league. So that's what you have to reconcile with him is it's like, well, is the, is the juice worth the squeeze? And that's part of the reason why he fell and could have fallen a lot further. I mean, that was something that didn't end up happening yeah. with these guys. But I mean, there was a possibility. I mean, people remember early on draft night that he might fall to like 10. Like that was, that was, it ended up not happening, but it, it could have. Well, and what I would add is that's one of the reasons I'm excited to watch him because there is just like a wide spectrum of outcomes for him as an NBA player. And, and, or maybe narrow, and it's either he's going to be very good and one of the most exciting players in the league, or he's going to be 
pretty rough and it's going to have kind of a rough road after, after the next couple of years. But the other thing is, and to circle back to something Mike said like 15 minutes ago, I'm putting a lot of faith in the Hawks front office and, and, and trusting the idea that this was a bet on their big board and the way they evaluated everybody. But there's also a chance and there was talk around the draft that like the Hawks owners wanted Trey Young over Luka Doncic because they thought Trey Young was going to be able to sell tickets. And there was a there was a push to sort of like bring him in as the new Steph Curry and like the, the star that's going to kind of like make the Hawks an attraction. And if that's, Boy, that's kind of, funny, if that's a thinking like that's not great. Well, it's also funny because I feel like Luka Doncic would sell more tickets, but alas. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Trey Young is definitely more famous. On NBA Twitter. Well, and I'll bring up a brief point there. Not that it's necessarily appropriate here. I've been thinking about this recently. College stars who aren't good NBA players do not sell tickets. Like, that's just, it, it's so right. funny how Bad teams, NBA players don't sell tickets. Right. Like, <laughs> Jimmer, Jimmer Fredette was super famous in college. Like, and, and even the guys in college who end up becoming pros that sell tickets aren't that way because of college. Like, Carmelo Anthony does not sell tickets, maybe other than to Syracuse alums, to people because of what he did in college. No, he was a, he was and is a successful professional basketball player. And it is so ludicrous to me that there's still teams and and front offices that that consider that because it you know like the ultimate probably example of this is Giannis like Giannis did sell tickets at any level before he was a professional and now he sells tickets all over the country and that's now the Bucks have a whole new stadium because to be honest you know it's appalling to me that 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 stuff still happens it's whether the guy is a good player or not especially because in the NBA even the even the guys who it's maybe not the most telegenic style of play but if the team wins people want to see winning teams you know like and maybe there's a line here incidentally involving somebody like Miami where there are teams that win that aren't fun to watch and there are teams that are bad that are but generally speaking <laughs> yeah generally speaking teams that win do well in attendance and teams that lose do not and you know if yeah, we're the, if the owners got to look at the balance sheet every year and we yeah. don't have to do that so that's that, very very true and <laughs> and i i would love to get the numbers on on jersey sales and just like what teams bring in on that because i don't know that there, there is a possibility i don't know that the revenue side like the non-ticket sale revenue that stuff that is very rarely made public that that affects it but i think a lot of that stuff gets shared so i don't think that's as much for the team oh. Anyone who's worked for a media company knows that there, there, there's always pressure from up high to do things that don't make sense to anyone down low at any that is very true. <laughs> so It's the same, the same thing here. Well, I'll leave that there, but I want to take a quick moment to tell you about True Car. These days, news travels lightning fast, which is great if you're a sports fan. Between status updates, breaking news notifications, and Twitter feeds, you can always be up to the minute on every team and every game. While this is great for sports, it is the opposite when it comes to buying a car. Go online and you are bombarded with numbers. Invoice, list price, dealer price. It is hard to know how to recognize a good price. Not anymore. Introducing True Price from True Car. It is the only price you need to know because it is exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories. How do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. 
so you know how to recognize a good price. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. How good are the Magic? Like, is I, I kind of I gotta say, like I looked at their team today and see Aaron Gordon, who had a good year until he started to get hurt. I see. Isaac is really interesting and was hurt a lot of last year and you didn't get it from him. Mo Bamba seems very intriguing. I don't know who the hell is playing point guard, but, you know, they still have Fournier. And then now the coach that's like very much a like guy you bring in when it's like we're going to have to. You guys, are you guys soccer fans? Uh, a little bit. So he's sort of like the coach that you bring in when you're in a relegation battle and just gets you to be act professional. <laughs> like that's, the, yeah. that's what Steve Clifford is. Like He's going to get them to a base level of competence that other coaches weren't. So I kind of think that this might be a better-than-expected year for them, but I've also said that like the last three years, so I could be wrong. Uh, well, I, I was going to say, that's sort of what Frank Vogel was supposed to be, too, it's when true. they brought him in two years ago. I, You know, the magic, it's tough, and this is why... <laughs> When Danny told me we were doing the Southeast, I was like, I don't know what to say about the Magic. Like, I, I avoid watching their games. I don't like, uh, I mean, I like all their guys individually, but like, I would love to, to take Aaron Gordon. I, I wish he had signed with the Pacers this offseason. I'd, I'd love to see him in a different situation where he wasn't asked to be more than he actually is. Like, he, I think. He, as a third or fourth guy on a, on a good team, as like kind of a Swiss Army knife, like he could be a lot of fun. But watching him strain to be the lead superstar has really been pretty brutal. And uh, I'm glad he got paid, but like I'm not looking forward to more of that. I kind of hope that that had run its course. And like Isaac, I really like, but now he like I like Isaac as a five. I, I now he's got to be kind of wedged between Aaron Gordon at the three and Mo Bamba as as a five and like that's not a great idea and everybody can see it and it, it's just gonna happen anyways. That, that's I feel like we've been having the same conversation with the Magic for a couple years now. I mean, we have. Yeah, we have. I would say with Gordon, by the way, I think the force angle is sort of the wrong way. Like, I would love to have seen him forced to be a Swiss Army knife. I think he wants, he yearns to be a more future player than his skills suggest. Yeah, yeah I think it's the other way. I would have loved to have seen him get a little uncomfortable and have to play winning for a winning team. Yeah, I would. I would much That's prefer to see him as a small fish in a big pond than a big fish in a small pond. I think that would fit his game well. I mean, there was a lot of like weird stuff with what he did last year. Two two big points on the Magic. One is if they had point guards, I would feel so much more confident about this team. Like they have some de- defensive identity stuff that I really like. I mean, you even saw it in summer league. There were some moments where they had Isaac and Bamba together at the four and the five, and teams just couldn't do anything inside twelve feet. And that was really exciting. And granted, NBA players are a whole lot better than summer league players. But there are some elements of that that could be true. But without a point guard, that does two things. One is it makes their offense worse, but also that can sabotage their defense because you get a small proportion of your possessions in the half court and you just have to deal with these teams. And I don't think they're, they have guys to defend well in transition. But the second part, and I think this is actually the more intriguing thing for somebody like me who enjoys the like process of discovery, is 
Steve Clifford signed up to it for a team that has dramatically different personnel than what he had in Charlotte. And so we're going to get a really good sense of what is a Steve Clifford team? Because like a lot of the center specific stuff that they did, you know, it was these, they relied a lot on these less mobile guys, more the, the stout, you know, and they were able to build good defenses around Al Jefferson and a lot of these things. And then offensively to me, I never really saw too much magic from Clifford. I hate that I just used that word, but <laughs> they they did too much of that, but they had Kemba freaking Walker, and so they they made a lot of that work. So now he has intriguing defensive personnel that's more on the mobility side than the stability side, and then they just they're going to have to figure out how to cobble together this offense. And so I have absolutely no idea what we're going to see. Like what what elements of it is this another low turnover, strong rebounding team? Well, maybe, but they don't have the personnel for that. I probably will. Be. Yeah. I mean, well, and the one thing I would I would piggyback on Danny to say say that I think if Jonathan Isaac, I watched a little bit of him in summer league, and I I heard good things from people who watch more. If he can be fluid enough to operate on the perimeter and hit from out there and kind of be like a, a real four and not just a big guy who's been kind of shoehorned into an awkward perimeter role, like. If he can really inhabit that role and thrive, then pairing him with Bamba gets pretty interesting and could be a lot of fun going forward. I'm just a little skeptical of it, given what I saw of him at FSU. And and, I mean, he didn't we didn't see much of him last year, but like uh, I I don't know if that's really his destiny, but it it would be fun. Yeah, my guess is offensively, we're going to see a lot of Evan Fournier pin downs and single double action and. A good deal of sort of these – you'll have like five scripted plays for Aaron Gordon, and you'll probably post up Nick Vucevic a lot, and it'll be pretty vanilla, but it'll be pretty back to basics. And then defensively, I think you're right. It does come down to whether Isaac can play really play the four position. But I, I suspect like it's going to be a lot of structure – not a lot of turnovers, but not a lot of dynamism. They'll be like 22nd in offense, and upside is they'll be 10th in defense, and they'll they'll win in the mid 30s, high 30s, low 40s. Like I, I think it will look a lot like the Steve Clifford teams we know, even though the personnel is different. Like he just strikes me as that's that's why you bring a Steve Clifford in. Do you really think high 30s, low 40s for them? I mean, I could see it. I, I, mean, I think that's more that's more your best case, right? That's not what you're expecting, not to speak for you. I mean, no, but, like, the East beyond, you know, Washington, Miami is just, I mean, do you who do you think is going to have a better record, Charlotte or, or Orlando? I mean, I think there's a quite an easy world where the answer is Orlando, especially if Kemba is traded and – Batum gets hurt yeah, again, and the Hornets depth stinks. And, you know, Detroit is sort of a bit of a combustible team. Like, they could be really good, or they could be a huge question mark. You know, they're in the mix. And then other than those two teams, I mean, where are you looking for potential sort of teams that sneak into the playoff race? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you I see could... from Cleveland and a couple of these other teams. And, I mean, Brooklyn is maybe in the conversation, but I think of them as a team that tops out before before the playoff race. You know, like maybe they could be in the high 30s, but that's probably not going to be enough to get in. Yeah, I, to me, I, I think Miami and um, and Detroit are going to be the final two playoff teams. I guess you, I, Charlotte, like, if things go really well, they could be in that mix also. Um Brooklyn, I I'm still uh, holding on to my D'Angelo Russell stock. I'm probably the only one in America who still believes in him, 
but objectively speaking, it's hard to imagine they go very far if things are still kind of revolving around him. And well, so here's the Orlando, thing, though. D'Angelo Russell, as flawed as he is, and I am, I, I, I didn't have much stock to begin with, but, oh, no, that's not true. I think I might have had him second or third in that class. But he's still better. I would still rather have him than what Orlando has at point guard, I would expect. Yeah. I mean, Augustine could certainly have a better season. Like that, I mean, well, I mean, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, too. I mean, I'd rather have Spencer Dinwiddie yeah, I would rather than Angel Russell. I would rather have Spencer for Dinwiddie for, than any, for, uh, for sure, than any of the point guards on the Magic. As, but, like, they're not going to ask the point guard to do anything. Like, they're going to just run really basic sort of a lot of stuff through Fournier and uh, Nick Vucevic. Like, I, I just think that's what's going to happen. Like, it, yeah, that point guard play stinks, and, like, once they – once they get to the point where they have to play anyone good, like it's going to be exposed. But as far as like in, in an AT season grind, like I just think they're going to Clippers going to just not do much, worry much about them. So you know, Andrew, I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, Andrew, I have a good news, bad news for you. The good news is I don't okay. think I don't think Aaron Gordon's going to play a ton at shoot at small forward. I, but the bad news is I think that's going to happen because they marginalized Jonathan Isaac and it's going to piss me off. But I just feel like they know at this point Aaron Gordon like he just makes more sense there and Isaac is not so good yet he maybe he'll be there eventually he's more of a curiosity at this point to, yeah. to make that sort of push like there are guys who lead to those sorts of circumstances but I think they have to be much more established so like if Isaac has an awesome training camp or something like that my instinct though is that yeah I think Vooch is going to play more than I want him to and Isaac is going to play less <laughs> but that yeah. leads to probably a better overall team for the 18-19 season just because Vooch is a better player right now than Jonathan Isaac is even though I think I would rather you know I would rather give Isaac more time to see what he is and to go in a more forward direction. Well, okay. And so this is why I said I would much rather be a Hawks fan right now than a Magic fan because Orlando has been making these mistakes for years now where they're like, we're going to win an extra five or 10 games and remove ourselves from the conversation for guys at the at the very top of the draft. And granted, like with lottery reform this year, maybe that equation changes and maybe this doesn't matter as much. But to me, I just think they've been so myopic with a lot of decisions they've made. Like I've wanted them to trade Vucevic for like three or four years now. I mean, he's just not a fit down there and he should be a sixth man in a like a canter type role for a, a, a team that's better. But they just play him to they're addicted to, to Vooch. And Fournier, like when Mike was talking about running pin downs for Fournier, like I, I, I can't watch much more of that, you know? No, like it's I, not going to be pretty. They're, they're not going to be a fun team to watch. This, I do think they're going to have been such stuff. a depressing podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> I love the Southeast Division. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Like once upon a time, Orlando was where Atlanta was, and the, to me, the, what's interesting is at what point. Does Atlanta turn into Orlando not? Like, what's the stomach for that? You know, because remember about White Howard, Orlando was Atlanta. They were, like, committed to the long rebuild and tearing it down and rebuilding it back up. I don't know. I don't know if they ever – you know what? That's – I think the best case for what Sam Hinkie did in Philadelphia was pointing at the Magic and looking at them and say – because they never really committed. That was the the problem is they didn't get – I guess you could say the Oladipo – 
pick was pretty high, uh, but like oftentimes what happened with them is they they would get to January and then they would sort of like pull the plug on the season and, and tank, but they would they would be winning too much. And then when Oladipo was there, like in, in March and April, he would look great and they would be like, oh, we're finally turning the corner and Alfred Payton would have a couple nice games and that and that was the problem is they read too much into guys who weren't very good and they like kind of just cost themselves some really valuable footing in the lottery. They also pick guys who weren't that good. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it's luck, you know? Well, and yeah. And I mean, also, I mean, it's very hard. Oladipo is one of the hardest guys to talk about with this because two teams basically, I mean, OKC had a different kind of conversation, but like they, they saw what they saw with Oladipo and didn't think he had this in him. And then Indiana did. And I, I didn't see it coming. I will admit, I never saw this Oladipo based on what I had Nobody seen. did. And so that it, it's a we, it's a weird conversation to have. But I want to also mention that it would be unbelievably funny for me, especially I, I've done some work on this in the past. If Orlando of all teams is the one that benefits from lottery reform because it was Orlando that caused the NBA to go to the system they had before. Like, <laughs> oh, Orlando, like back in the 90s? You mean? Yeah, in the 90s. Like, Orlando yeah. getting Shaq and Penny in consecutive years was what led wow. to was what led to lottery reform going steeply for the worst teams. And it is entirely possible that Orlando is going to end up like the ni- eighth or ninth record, get a top two or three seed, and have people get super pissed off again. And it would make me so unbelievably happy for that to be the case. Because it's just like, that's the way this works. You always, we the NBA moves from like one end to the other, and they forget why they moved because it takes so long Mm -hmm. and it's it's amazing and so i'm really excited like there are certain reforms like we talked about at the beginning where not giving the the division winners their stuff where it's like okay this is just a better solution but then there are sometimes where you're choosing between trade-offs and i love that they did this and it it very well might end up being orlando the only other move i want to talk about briefly is is schroeder i i think that it was very fortunate for atlanta to get off it 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 wasn't a bad contract but it was just kind of like they were just stuck with him you know like it was a a circumstance we're going through that so i'm happy with i'm happy with that it turned out that way we'll see what happens with okc yeah i do believe in him as a as a kind of supporting guy in in okc i feel like the best conversations we've had on this podcast are about teams that aren't in the Southeast division, but I'm curious as to whether you guys are buying in on, on what he can provide the thunder. Uh, no, no, not really. No, <laughs> I mean, but I can't... he might, he might get, um, the, on the bright side, he's perfectly set up to do what Reggie Jackson did like two years ago. And, Embrace the starting role as Westbrook returns from injury and the team stinks and everybody starts to hate him. And then Westbrook comes back and fixes things. So like, and yay, Russell Westbrook, we're so happy again. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if Westbrook has to miss time due to this knee, the the knee procedure that he had, then I understand the Schroeder thing a lot more. But I don't know if that's, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if that's going to be the case. Like he's he's a much better starting point guard than Raymond Felton, but I don't think, and I think he's a better backup point guard than Raymond Felton, but not that much. And my big concern with Schroeder, we just haven't seen it, is whether he's going to work off ball. Like I, Russell Westbrook doesn't. We already pretty much know that. Like Russell Westbrook, he wants to he wants to have it. I mean, it's either it, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Poochie thing either the ball is in his hands or we're all talking about why the ball isn't in his hands so that is a that is a constraint but 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 yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out very quickly I mean I think the best newcomer in this division is probably Dwight Howard that makes me intensely sad I mean there are guys that'll be better long term but in terms of this year's value it probably is Dwight isn't it you know the only other nomination I would have which isn't really 
it, it doesn't count, but I am curious about Malik Monk in Charlotte. And I, I almost feel like last season was, was like a redshirt season for him. And, uh, I want to know whether he's just going to be bad in the NBA. I mean, he had some moments. He definitely had, had a couple like great quarters thrown in there, but I, I like, that's, that's the X factor. I, I am curious about with Charlotte is if, is he going to arrive and be a real player for them? And, uh, because I, I loved watching him at, at Kentucky. I had no idea how much of that was going to translate in the NBA, but, um, but it would be fun to see him in a role where he actually matters with the Hornets. Mm. I was going to say Trey Young, but I think other than Dwight, that's probably the number one I would say as top newcomer or Steve Clifford in terms of the one loss record, but not in terms of where your team is going. Yeah, I would probably say Trey Young is probably the one that is most interesting. So, so Mike, I know that you have to go. We've been running for a little while. So I'll give you the floor for just a bit to say uh, the rookie you're most excited to see. And then if you have any like breakout candidates, whether they're rookies or whoever else, like guys that you think are going to do well, and then Sharp and I can finish out the rest of it. Yeah, Trey Young, for all the reasons that I think we've talked about, I'm just sort of curious what I'm getting there. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely excited to see him. Breakout candidates, I Jonathan Isaac was a good one. I think that that would be probably the one I'd go with. Uh, I'm also intrigued to see if uh, Winslow or Bam Adebayo kind of really does capitalize on their promise. But the division is not exactly littered with <laughs> either of these sort of situations. I, I just don't think Obama is going to play very much this year. And we know what we're getting from the Wizards guys. And other than, oh, John Collins might be an interesting breakout player that like five people are going to watch blossom into a really good player because uh, I, I, I think he could be really good. John Collins was a, a lot of fun to watch last year. He definitely uh, he he got hurt midway through and sort of fell off the map a little bit, but I think he was better than a lot of people expected. And what I liked about him is that he at least once or twice every game would try to dunk on the entire team he was playing. And uh, he's, I, I love him for that. And I think he is actually going to be good. I don't know whether you can like win a title with a, with a big man like that, but he's going to be very solid. Yeah. I'm impressed by him. I mean, for the dunking thing, I can just watch highlights of him dunking on people. But I actually think he has some game, especially in the short role, and he showed some perimeter stuff in in summer league. I think he could be, he could have a really him and him and uh, Trey Young could be a really fun little partnership that all of us who watch way too much basketball can show off our knowledge by pointing out with other people that don't watch the Hawks as much. So I'm also excited for that. It's always fun. <laughs> I think Collins is an interesting one. I wonder a little bit about what his position is long term, but the Hawks are going to be bad enough that I don't think it matters. So we can just see what he plays, how, how well that works out. And sometimes that's good for young players, just for the, from an evaluation standpoint, that there's not going to be a lot on his shoulders. I want to see what he can be defensively. You know, like, is he more of a shot blocker? He has great s- second jump, so his rebounding will be good, but it's just kind of where he fits in there, maybe as a switch guy too. But then a guy that Andrew and I both really like is Bam Adebayo. And it's funny. 
funny because like Hassan Whiteside has a lot of positives, but his negatives are ver- get a lot of attention. And I think Bam could end up being a much better player for Miami, even in the near term, just because he takes less off the table. And so he might add less, but taking less off could be exactly what Miami needs. Yeah, you know, and I just wonder with Bam how much room they're going to have to just straight up sit white side and be like you know what we understand you're making 25 million dollars a year but you're playing 15 minutes tonight and we're gonna run out bam for 30 minutes like there were stretches in that Sixers series where bam was doing a pretty nice job on Embiid, and it's like it's really fun to watch him on defense and then on offense i i think that he has a little bit more versatility to his game than we've even seen uh last year and so I'm all in, man. I think the the BAM bandwagon is is pretty small right now, but I'm glad to hear that you're on it. I am, at least for the time being, and I'm intrigued to see. Offensively, he he's just has a little bit more capability than I think people have, and this is something that happens with exactly. John Calipari big men, is that, oh, you're like, oh, yeah, they can actually do a lot more just because... Cal doesn't need to ask them to do that. Now, I understand that. You know, I'm not I'm not ripping on Calipari for that necessarily. And uh, you know, no, it's it's actually really funny though because before the draft, I was talking to scouts who were very high on Bam, and I had only seen him at Kentucky, and I, I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Like he's a rim runner who's uh, undersized and basically has has nothing but like." the ability to dunk on offense. And it, it was that first summer league that actually did it for me where I was like, wait a second, this is not the guy we saw at Kentucky. Like, let's see where this goes. A couple other quick ones. I think people are going to remember this year that Cody Zeller is a good basketball player, which is, uh, it'd be funny for him to break out because I'm not necessarily sure he'll be better than he was in 16-17, <laughs> but he got marginalized last year by Dwight and having to play with the worst bench lineup for a lot of the year that basically existed. And along those lines, I'm j- this isn't a breakout guy, but I'm interested to see what happens with Tony Parker there, just because he'll be better than MCW because everybody pretty much is better than MCW was last year. But then the other guy, and this is a good one to talk with you about, is I hope Kelly Oubre gets the opportunity to have a nice year because, I mean, it's a big one for him with the, you know, extension negotiations early in it. I assume he's going to be a restricted free agent, and I could see him having a nice year. Yeah, you know, Oubre is a um, a tough one because he is, he has all the sort of aesthetics of like everything you would want in a modern wing and he checks all the right boxes but he also is is just a little bit underwhelming in in a number of ways his defense isn't quite as good as it as it sometimes appears like he looks like a great defender but then he kind of spaces out for a quarter or two quarters and and like he's not playable and like a guy like Sadoransky is oftentimes more helpful than Ubre has been and Ubre's shooting fell off a cliff over the final few months last season so I'm not optimistic to be honest with you um, but I am curious because there's certainly a possibility that he turns into sort of a poor man's version of what Jalen Brown has been in Boston and that's a really good player you know and uh, I like it hit the market in restricted free agency is a whole other discussion, but like it, it is a huge year for him, and I'm curious to see where it where he goes and what kind of opportunity he gets. And we talked about that earlier with with Scott Brooks. And yeah, well, he I, got I, the opportunities though. Like that's true. I, I think he he gets his minutes in part because there's not really any alternative on the wing uh, behind Otto. But it's a question of how consistent he can be. He'll have 
one night every 10 days where you're like, whoa, Ubre is great. And it's it's a matter of sustaining that. And what, obviously you can interject with any other breakout guys. I think that's pretty much the, the full list, of, at least of guys that I was really thinking about. I would love to see, you know, depending on what young guys get playing time in this division, there are other ones, but I don't expect it. Usually rookies and sophomores aren't super good. Like that's part of, part of why the Hawks are probably going to be bad this year. But uh, we get into just... It's it's a basic question, but just ranking these teams one to five. And to me, I've got the Wizards number one. I've got the Heat number two. I've got the Hornets number three and the Magic number four and the Hawks number five. And it's perverse, but I do feel like the Hawks might have the most hope of anyone in this division. I'm really excited for the Wizards season. I think that they are going to be better than a lot of people realize. And uh, we'll probably finish maybe fourth in the East, fourth or fifth. Having said that, though, that like I think that there's a cloud hanging over the team because everyone knows what's coming in the next couple of years, and like that that supermax just really complicates a lot of a lot of things, both literally and free agency, but also just sort of how fans feel uh, about where the team is going and what what the possibilities are. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of that's kind of like the chalkiest prediction, but that's that's what I've got in the southeast. That's the same order I'd have, too. I think Washington-Miami is tighter just because both of those teams have a little bit of variability on yeah. what kind of where it turns out. Like, Miami, if their offense is even a little bit better than it was, then they could be, you know, if, if they have a top 10 defense and a league average offense... Like Portland, so for example, last year Portland was seven and fifteen. So they were seventh in defense, fifteenth in offense, and they had a, a plus two point differential, which was which is good. And Miami was a little bit below that if they could get that offense better. But I'm not sure at all that that's going to happen. We've talked about the issues there. And Washington, you know, I could see them doing a little bit better on both ends of the floor. We talked about John Wall only played half the season. They have, you know, I think they're a deeper team this coming season, which which could really help. It depends on really what, what they get from Jeff Green versus Mike Scott, who had an underappreciated year, because Austin Rivers, I think, is going to help them as long as Scott Brooks uses him in a reasonable way. And then, you know, like, I, I think Charlotte was something we didn't talk about when Mike was, was still on the call, was that possibility that they move on from Kemba. He brought it up as a possibility. Yeah, that's I, smart. I, I don't expect them to do that, even though I think they should. I think they should have traded Kemba at the deadline last year. You know, like, I could see this as just them writing it out, thinking that he could resign, and he very well might resign. But that I think that is the easiest way. So the two real changes in order here for me. One is, you know, Miami could just be a little bit better Washington. I think Washington, my expectation is Washington. I have the same order that you do. And then the other one would be if Charlotte sees where this is going and trades Kemba. And then my expectation would be that even is that they would then finish behind Orlando. But remember, that would be halfway through the season. So they would still probably, I think they would be ahead of Orlando in the standings at that juncture. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the Kemba stuff, I don't even know what you can get for Kemba at this point, which is the problem. And that, and that was the problem at the last All-Star break too. And it's just kind of a purgatory that a number of teams find themselves in for various reasons. I mean, I I would say that the the Grizzlies would have dealt Gasol or Conley somewhere along the way over the past few years if they could get anything close to 
the value um, of that those guys provide by being in Memphis. And, and I wonder if some of the same stuff is, is in play with Kemba where like, you know, if you, do you trade Kemba for like a mid first round pick and a bad contract? Like probably not, but it doesn't, this is, that's a, that's a nice depressing note to end on actually for this division is like, they're kind of screwed either way, but uh, at least the Wizards will have Dwight and are going to be the most toxic team in the league, and we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a possibility that there's a little bit more variance here. I would love to see like Orlando take a big step. I wish I were as optimistic as Prada is. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. But, you know, there are there are players and teams that can defy it. And sometimes, from my experience, when you think something is figured out, I think a good example of this is the Indiana Pacers last year. I mean, granted, Oladipo is, that's not precedent for anything. But sometimes that leads to things because we, we get really comfortable with the idea that players are going to be the same year in, year out. And guys grow, guys develop. And hopefully, if anybody does in this division, they will get the opportunity to show it. Yep. There you go. We'll see. Slightly sunnier ending. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I look forward to maybe we could do another West Coast, East Coast pod somewhere in the middle of the season. Thanks again to Andrew Sharp and Mike Prada for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read Andrew and listen to him involving Sports Illustrated. He is actually the ombudsman of the big top 100 players thing that came out. So he got to spend some quality time with Ben Galver and Rob Mahoney, who have been on earlier iterations of these division podcasts, and they just put out that big feature. A lot of good work that went into that. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Sharp, A-N-D-R-E-W-S-H-A-R-P, and Mike Prada, editor of SB Nation NBA. They do great work. And his Twitter handle is Mike Prada SBN, M-I-K-E, I can talk, P-R-A-D-A-S-B-N. And I'm such a big fan of, of all the, the work that, that they're doing over there. And I love talking with Mike. The tentative plan for the rest of September is to hopefully get the over-unders and a real GM radio tradition done. It's not locked in all the way yet, but it's pretty close. So that's the expectation. And by the time that's done, if I, if that ends up being the timeline here. We'll be getting close to the season, and I'm really looking forward to that. So really start getting there in earnest. Haven't exactly figured out where I'm going to go from there, but have a couple weeks to figure it out. And for those of you who want to hear me more, I am actually taking over because Nate is on his honeymoon. I am running Dunked On for two whole weeks. That will start with Sunday night slash Monday mornings episode and continue for the following two weeks. And then as soon as that is resolved, Nate and I are going back to five days a week. So you can enjoy that doing the team previews for a bunch of the different episodes. And so a lot of fun. I've actually done a portion of those already and then recording the rest over the next few days. So looking forward to that. Have a bunch of work in the offing for various outlets. I don't, I don't know how close any of it is to publishing, but it is in process because I take my time sometimes with things in the summer way in planning and everything like that. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the best way to do it. And the best way to support the show is to check out our sponsors, betonline.ag. Use the promo code podcast1 using the number one for a 50% sign-up bonus. Pluto TV, the leading free streaming television service, which is pretty cool. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. And then the other ways to support the show, I mean, I, I don't mention this enough, but word of mouth is extremely important. Just telling people you liked either this episode, the show in, in total, that can be on social media, that can be in person, whatever makes you happy. I really do appreciate it. 
leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player of your choice. Great if it's Apple. If it's not, if you want to be super awesome, you can do it in both. And then subscribing, downloading every episode. That's important with Real Jam Radio because it comes out on completely random days because of guest availability and when I get a chance to edit it. So it's always going to come out within a given week, but what day changes. So if you subscribe, then you don't have to wait for a tweet or something like that. You could just have it pop into your podcast player whenever you're ready for it. So looking forward to a little bit less than a month of more idle time and a fair portion of that is actually going to have preseason basketball and preseason basketball has its flaws, but it's better than no basketball to be certain. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. Come in or do a virtual live chat consult from home. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.